You're now listening to episode 77 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thomas Costello here today, and I'm joined with a client of ours, David Dawkins. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss his journey from full-time finance manager in the corporate world to full-time multifamily investor and real estate professional, why he chose multifamily, the tax strategies he uses to minimize taxes, and more. Hey, Dave. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Can you give our listeners a little insight into your background and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, thanks for thanks for having me on, Thomas. Um, and yeah, just to give you know a little background, I won't go you know too far, um, but I'm pretty sure uh, mine's all kind of similar to a lot of people. I you know graduated college and you know had a bunch of student loan debt. Didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, had a couple different jobs early on, and then you know I knew I needed to get with a company with some upward mobility, so I did. Um, then I was fortunate enough to go back or they were, you know, allowed, they had a program where they could help pay for my MBA or they, a part of it at least. So went back, got my MBA, um, as well, tacking a little more student loan debt, but, um, which on the end is probably worth it. And then, cause with that, you know, along with just, um, some performance, I was able to get some numerous promotions. So, um, just kept getting a few promotions actually, uh, took a promotion to Dallas and then back to, um, back to Jacksonville where I'm at now. <laughs> and you know, at that point to my role, I was a, as a finance manager for a fleet management company. And, but it was very, we, we were, I was running a sales office alongside the director. So I was the number two in the office. So I was very um, involved with the sales process too. So it was kind of a um, unique position that has helped me out. You know, I look back a lot of that, a lot of what I learned then probably helped me out with my real estate investing because I definitely understood, you know, sales, lead generation and that aspect of the business. But then my role uh, specifically was I was working with the sales team and going on, you know, our meetings. So, so our customers, if they had a fleet of vehicles of 20 or more, would outsource it to us. And so basically the sell was between, you know, leasing or going to purchase their own vehicles. <laughs> and so the, the people we were meeting with, the decision makers, were usually controllers, CFOs. Um, and so I was training the salespeople to go out on those meetings to handle those conversations themselves. Um, but then I would go a lot, honestly, towards the, as the meetings progress with each account, I would go with them. And so <clears throat> that's, um, that's kind of just a little brief, you know, kind of explanation of my background. It's kind of a sales finance um, mix. And then I was doing that. So I was in that role for the last five years. And then kind of leading up, you know, before that, I really started getting into, because I mentioned my student loan debt, and <clears throat> I started aggressive i got really into you know paying that down as much as i could and started learning everything i could about personal finance you know budgeting kind of the basics and then as i was paying that debt down and i kept getting promotions and making more and more money um essentially eventually that the the debt was gone i paid off all my student loan debt and like i said i kept making more money Mm -hmm. and the other thing which was key is i always lived you know within my means so every time i got a promotion like yeah there was the lifestyle creep you know, a little bit each time, but um, at the same time, basically that delta between, you know, what I, my living expenses versus what I was making just kept getting larger. And then once I paid off my student loans, I had money to invest. 
And that's when I've been dabbling around with stocks. And that's when, you know, basically I kind of got turned on to real estate too. And mm -hmm. you know, from there, which this was about, this was three, almost three and a half years ago now. Yeah. Three, three and a half years ago is when I first really started, you know, diving into real estate. And I've been doing, that's been my main focus ever since. <clears throat> Gotcha. So when you, when you first started, when you first started out investing in real estate, what was the, what was the first thing you started investing in? Well, first off, it was just single family homes. So, and that was just all I knew, you know, I didn't know anything you know, about, you know, real estate investing, you know, growing up. And, and it's funny story actually is when um, everybody's read Rich Dad Poor Dad. When I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I actually thought, I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Like real estate seems awesome, but I don't have any money. So or at the time I still had debt. So I was like, okay. And that's when I actually started dabbling with stocks. And it didn't even, even though I read the book, it didn't really go off for me as far as real estate. And then it was, a, I can't remember how, how much later I then got a, I, it was actually a similar, it was one of those free, like I heard on the radio and it's like, come learn about real estate investing. So I, I go there, it was just like you would think it is. I mean, they like felt like you're getting sold snake oil. Like it was just not like right away. I was there. I need to leave here. But the one thing they had, they had one of those run to the back of the room promotions. Yeah. <laughs> so that I'm right away. I'm like, like, are these people really going to do this? But yeah, they're like run to the back of the room. We have this kit. that's normally $1,200, but today it's only $200. And I'm like, Oh my God. Stupid. <laughs> but you know, it's just like, it's just like reading a bad book. Like you can usually pull one nugget out of it. So the, the thing, what it was when they showed what the kit was, it included a deal analyzer. Basically that was like a light bulb to me. I was like, Oh, okay. So you can quantify and actually just look at a property. And then it was an Excel spreadsheet is all it was probably similar to what we all, a lot of people use today, um, different variations, but basically once I could quantify it and then I just took everything I was doing on a day to day, you know, analyzing fleets of vehicles with equity and risk and just kind of translated that, that knowledge and skill over to real estate. Um, and then at that time too, so I went home from that, from that event, I Googled like deal calculator or something and bigger pockets popped up. Um, and then, so I started listening to all those and, um, at that point, and then too, just early on, it was just a single family home was initial. It was easy for me. I actually owned my, we did me and my now wife, um, girlfriend at the time, we were already living in the house and we had already purchased our house. So, but outside of that, I had no other investments. And then, so, but it was natural for me to start with a single family. Um, and then once I did, it just, just kind of started snowballing and then just got one and we utilized, you know, a lot of different strategies. That's what I, I kind of joke with the first 10 properties I got were probably acquired from different ways. So, um, but yeah, just utilized a lot of different strategies with mostly, uh, mostly all single families and then, you know, duplex and triplex, but all, you know, up until recently was under four units. <clears throat> nice. Nice. <clears throat> so when you, so you, I think now, now you mentioned you, you've graduated to more larger multifamily properties. Why, what, what was it? Was this a, just a gradual transition? What, why, why go for the larger properties? Why not just stick with the smaller, uh, you know, one to four units? Yeah, so it was, I mean, it was kind of a natural progression, but early on, I, I really liked, once I started learning about multifamily, you know, I liked it uh, a lot, mainly from, um, well, there's a couple of things, obviously there's, you know, the economies of scale and there's some factors there, but really the way they're valued, the fact that it's, you know, you're buying a business, it's valued like a business and it's based off of income, you know, as opposed to residential properties, you know, anything for use and under, which is going to be valued based off the comp approach. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, you can obviously, and the, the, 
the way that you can affect the valuations, you know, basically with single families, it's pretty much essentially just physical, the physical attributes of the property. So you can, you, know, you put granite countertops, you can remodel the property, but that's really all you can do. And still you have a very, uh, you know, you're limited. You have a ceiling because if you have a three to 1500 square foot house, you know, three, two, it doesn't really matter what you do. If the one down the street sold for 200,000, like yours is worth 200,000, give or take, you know, a little bit. Um, as opposed to, to multifamily where it is valued like a business. So if you can drive, you can take buy a property, drive the NOI up, it can drive the valuation up, you know, significantly. And you just have more control. And, and there's obviously still, um, you know, depending on from a, from a lending, what the capital markets and like what financing people have available at the time, like it's not completely within your control, um, but you do have more control as opposed to um, single family where, um, at, you know, the kind of market, it's more about catching, catching the right market cycles and, and things of that nature. So that, I would say, yeah, just basically probably the control um, for, of the valuation of the property is one reason why I like it. And there's just so, there's a lot more moving parts. So there are more ways that you can drive income, you know, and lower expenses as opposed to a single family. You know, one, it's not valued that way, but even if you just, from a cash flow standpoint, I mean, you can only charge so much in rent. There's really generally no other income you know that you can generate other than just the, the base rent each month and then on the expense side too there's just not as many um, ways that you can cut expenses <clears throat> gotcha no 100 percent will uh, agree with what you're saying there on the multifamily side when you're in that more commercial space the valuations being able to drive and force appreciation through increasing noi definitely is in, in is many times more desirable than than leaving it to the comparable sales method that you're going to be dealing with in the and the smaller residential properties, the one to four units. Switching gears just a tad. So I, I know, you know before you, you've been talking a little bit about your position and how did you know in paying off your debt, how did you know when the right time was to leave your full-time job and to pursue full-time real estate investing? You know, that's a tough question. Like it wasn't necessarily, um, one, I guess, just if you're out there, like thinking like you probably won't, there was never a time where I was like, Oh, this definitely hundred percent. This is the right decision. There was always like, even when I was doing it, um, when I was telling you know, my boss was like, Hey, I'm leaving. There was yeah. still, uh, in the back of my mind, a lot of like, basically like, Oh, oh crap. Like, is this the right decision? And I'm not going to like, cause what, you know, I was making a lot of, I was paying off the bottom line. We have been making a lot of money. I, my pay was going up each year. Um, so it was one of those situations from the outsider's perspective, they probably like, you know, you're an idiot, man. Like, why would you leave that? And still, I, to be honest, it was a good position. I had a lot of autonomy and there was a lot of um, attributes that I liked, but I just still, at the end of the day, there was a lot that I didn't like, you know, I wanted complete, you know, control of, of, you know, my day. And I felt confident because I was working so hard for them. And yeah, I was getting rewarded with making more money, but, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I started learning, and we start studying like all the, the wealthy, they own assets, you know, whether yeah. it be, you know, real estate or even businesses, like that's the difference is, you know, yeah, I was making more income every year, but at the end of the day, the owners of the company, they're the ones that were getting all the equity, you know, and that's yeah. why um, I think people can get, you can get enamored. It sounds a lot when you're making, you know, six figure plus like income, but at the end of the day, if it's, uh, if you're not taking that, if you're not, you know, living within that, that income and putting some over to acquire assets, like it, over the long run, you may live a comfortable lifestyle, but you're still always just, you know, uh, basically consuming what you're taking in each month. And so that's where I just knew, I knew long-term um, that 
I, I felt like I needed to be more of a business owner in, in real estate. I was enjoying it, you know, first off. Mm. I, I enjoyed it more. Yeah, kind of another factor was I just wasn't as happy at my work. Yeah. I just was getting to the point where I wasn't happy. I wanted complete control. And I, I kept running these, uh, you know, pro-con analysis like I'm sure everyone does. Yeah. And it, it was getting to the point where the only pro was the money. And I'm yeah. like, man, that's just not like, there's other ways to make money. And obviously yeah. people make a ton of money in real estate. So I was like, okay, if I can just divert my efforts, you know, everything, how much time I'm spending here, if I take that same discipline and actually apply that, you know, if I'm working 50 plus hours a week on real estate, like I'll make it work. Um, so it's kind of a long answer to your question, but I didn't never really knew, but it got to a point where, um, and first off, or I still, when I left, like I, I joke people like, oh, you quit your job? And they say it kind of like, Oh man, did you just get mad and like pull a Jerry Maguire one day and leave your job? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, dude, like I, I, I planned this for three years. So yeah. I kind of pretty much from when I started investing once after that first or second rental property, I kind of started realizing, I was like, okay, this is, this is where I'm going to go. Um, so I, I prepared, you know, this was like three years in the making and leading up to it too. I also was putting, I put a large cushion aside uh, uh cash you know reserves basically mm -hmm. for six to 12 months so i knew i was like okay and i had some income coming in from my existing portfolio not to completely live off of mm -hmm. but it would basically be like a, a slow burn off of my cash reserves so i i knew i was giving myself a good long runway and at the end of the day i kept coming back to you know the way i make a lot of decisions you know the first thing is is what's the absolute worst case scenario and I really thought about it. Like, worst case scenario, this fails. You know, I have an MBA and a, a good resume of work experience, a managerial experience. And so I was like, I'll just go get another job. So yeah. it wasn't the absolute end of the world. And then, you know, obviously the upside, it was just basically like, is the possible upside worth, you know, taking that risk? And so I looked at it and it was. Um, so, and then, then the timing of it, it just kind of happened to be at the end of our fiscal year. We had actually just had our best month ever, so I was going to get this huge check on the way out. So it was just there was a culmination of factors for the specific timing, but um, yeah, there wasn't like one moment where I knew this was it. It just there's a lot of factors that went into it. Oh uh, no, that, that, that's very good to hear, and uh, I know that a lot of our listeners are going to love to hear that type of story and kind of the thought process you had to go through and the steps you took, you know, saving up the money, saving up the cash reserves you know, realizing, Hey, look, you know, I'm not going to be making a hundred percent of my income off of real estate when I make the leap, but at least I have this runway to help me kind of bridge the gap. So that's, uh, that that's good to hear. So now that you're full time. No, I was just going to say, yeah. And I think a lot of people get caught up. I hear it like trying to replace their income. And if you're making a decent income, I mean, dude, it doesn't take long for you to figure out, you know, a couple hundred bucks from a rental property. Like it's going to take yeah. you ton of rental properties to make that income up. And so that's what you have to start looking at, you know, the whole picture, but, but mainly too, I was comparing it compared to my expenses. Yeah. Because like, all the extra money I was investing. So I was like, okay, now I have more time. I can get creative. There'll be other ways that I can still continue to invest, but you know, will I, how far am I away from just covering my monthly expenses? Which that's the kind of way I looked at it. Gotcha. So you, so you just said, Hey, look, I'm not looking to, <clears throat> to cover my entire income. You're more or less just looking to cover your, your monthly expenses. And you, you got to a point where you're comfortable enough, where you had enough money coming from real estate to, to almost cover your expenses. And you just kind of yeah. have to draw down some of your savings. Exactly. Yeah. And I just knew, I was like, if I do this full time, I'll be able to make that gap up pretty quick, you know, was the thinking. And, you know, so far it's worked out. Got it. Got it. So 
Now, now that you're full time, what does the future look like for you now? Yeah. So now, um, because now that I'm full time, been focused completely on you know multifamily properties, and so that's really the future. You know, my goal for because I'm here in Jacksonville is I want to be you know the expert, the guy for multifamily between 20 and 100 units. I want it to be, and Jacksonville is a market that's um, you know depending on the listener where you're at, but it's it's not you know, obviously it's not in New York or LA, and so you can run like I've ran from the property appraisers the the search on those properties that fall on that criteria. And that, that was only, that's not the surrounding counties, but you're still, you're talking, you know, 150 to 200 properties. And so I basically, you know, my goal is fast forward a few years. Like if you name any property that falls within that range, you know, in Jacksonville, that I'm either gonna, you know, own it or know about it. Cause I've tried to I've talked to the owners, I've talked to brokers, like, and I've tried to, to get it. So yeah, so that's my plan is to just focus on, on that niche of, of multifamily and just really become the expert um, for that for that real estate niche in Jacksonville. That's uh, that's always good to hear. It's always good to hear that uh, you know when someone's focused on a specific niche. You see a lot of people out here these days, you know, chasing different asset classes, different size properties. But it sounds like you're just really zoned in one specific one specific target. Are you looking or one specific range rather? Are you yeah. looking to? Are you looking to eventually expand from that or, or right now it's just mastering that and just making sure that you're, you're rock solid on that in that way. Yeah, right now it's mainly just to master that. And because, and even with it, there's obviously even more criteria, you know, that what I'm specifically looking for um, to narrow it down even more, but really, and the reason for that is, um, you know, if you look, obviously once you get to 20 units or above, then it kind of weeds out some, obviously the single family, you know, the smaller, smaller um, investors, but it's not, um, once you start getting over a hundred, once you know, once you're over two, 300 plus, you start competing against institutional, you know, money that, that that's obviously creates a different, you know, challenge for you. And even, you know, that hundred plus, there's a lot of these regional, you know, syndicators that they don't really want to mess around with anything hundred plus. And a big reason for that is because of the property management, you know, when you're under hundred units, you don't support a full-time property manager on, or an on-site property manager. And so, um, I, but, if you have multiple properties, you know, that are, you know, near, nearby each other, you can have a maintenance man. You can have, you can have a full-time maintenance man, not the property, but you have a full-time maintenance man, a leasing agent that float between a few, um, a few properties. So it's a, you know, for some people look at it as a, you know, that's a challenge, but to me, that's just, it's a nice, nice sweet spot. Um, and maybe one day, you know, down the road, I'm not saying I, that'll be forever, but at least for now, for the foreseeable future, that's my you know, focus. And then, you know, I guess, yeah, at some point I could see going into larger properties, but for now I just want to, you know, master that and then progress from there if, if I feel that way in the future. Gotcha. Makes, makes sense. Makes sense. So before we just jump right into some tax questions here, because we are yeah. an accounting and tax podcast, we do yeah. have to eventually get to that. Um, what, <laughs> do, you, do you have any, any advice for someone who's in, in the same shoes as, you know, who, uh, who's looking to make the jump from full-time to W2, from full-time yeah. W2 job to a full-time yeah. investor? Um, yeah, I, I would say one, you just have to, and it just depends. This is going to be, it's hard to, to make like one general advice for just everyone out there. So, but to give kind of a general tip is just be, you know, very, um, honest and aware of your own personal strengths and weaknesses and what you're, um, where you're coming from, because, you know, for example, 
I see, you know, you hear a lot of people that want to, yeah, dive right into multifamily, like large, multi, like hundred plus units. Um, and that's, you know, can it be done? I mean, sure. I mean, I'm sure there's people that have done it out there, but usually the ones that had, it was a, they had a maybe unique set of skills you know, maybe they're an older professional individual already that had won a lot of, you know, had a high net worth themselves and their immediate network of, of colleagues and friends are also high net worth individuals. So that person, you know, is going to make that transition, you know, much easier. Than, than the average, you know, even, you know, me, you know, at this point or something, you know, trying to go after these huge properties or me, you know, five years ago. So that's what I would, I would say, just be honest with yourself about what your goals are and make sure they're realistic and they fit your current skill set. And then from there, after, on top of that, though, just, yeah, make sure financially that you have enough reserves. So just save up cash reserves so you can weather the storm if, if things don't take off from the beginning. No, that's great advice. Great advice. So moving right into some of the tax strategy stuff, of course, um, what, what are the top, uh, since now that you're a full-time investor, we know yeah. the world is open, oh, there's, is open to marvelous uh, tax opportunities for you. What are the top two or three tax strategies you're currently using? Uh, for, for me, I would say it's, you know, now that I have you know, left my job being a real estate professional, so I'm not sure if that counts as an actual strategy, but oh, the does. fact that I can claim that, you know, is huge. So I would say that and then, which kind of goes along with that too, but is, you know, cost segregation. Uh, those are, I would say, yeah, those are the main two things that, you know, I'm utilizing, you know, currently. And I guess the benefit is because, I mean, a lot of your listeners may know, but obviously when you have W-2 income, you know, you're, you're capped on some of your losses. So, and that's what it, basically the fact that I can combine those two, you know, that I am a real estate professional now, so there's no cap on my on the on the extra depreciation losses from cost segregation. So, um, so those would be the main two, but yeah, it kind of worked in hand in hand. That's great to hear. So basically when you left your full-time job, you're, you now had uh, the opportunity to meet that real estate professional test at 750 hours and more than 50% of your working time, which is very challenging, if not very, if not flat out impossible for, for people who are working a full-time W2 job to meet. And then from there, you're able to combine that strategy with cost irrigation to really maximize the amount of losses you can take against your, your other income, essentially. Yeah. And that was, I will say, um, you know, in, in working with you, like that's one thing that the, I didn't, I understood the concept of cost segregation. Um, but even still, like when we first spoke, my plan was, oh, I can cost seg you know, my, once I figured out that you can now, you know, call seg too, it makes sense to call seg even single families and under four, like cheaper properties that I've recently acquired. I was like, oh, that's great. So now I'm like, oh, I can, I can claim or I can have, yeah, I can claim this extra, these extra losses, this uh, extra depreciation. But I was thinking about it for, to, to withdraw from my 401k and to liquidate my 401k. I was like, oh, it'll offset that. Now I can, now I can do that. I don't have to worry about paying taxes. I was thinking I was going to have to wait till, you know, next year when I can have the income. But then what was even better is I didn't even think but that offset the income that I'd already made this year. And then the, obviously if you're pulling money, most people when you're liquidating a 401k, it's to purchase a property, which I did. And then we can call say that property to offset that income. So yeah. it, it, was, it was more, so it was even, you know, once I really, you know, got into it and working with you, like it, the cost segregation, the benefits were a lot more than I even initially expected. And it really makes, for me, because I'll now get a, you know, a large refund come tax time. So when we talk about that cash reserve, it's, mm. it's basically, it's going to dump in. Like I thought I had, you know, and things so far have gone well, but you know, I thought I had six or 12 months and really 
now I'm going to have, you know, in theory, I would have even longer because I'm going to get a lot of the taxes that I'd already paid, you know, back. So, so that was really powerful and has really helped the transition. Yeah, that's always good to hear. And uh, I think that our listeners could take away from that here that, hey, when you make the full-time transition, there are a lot of opportunities open uh, to you as a real estate uh, professional to mitigate your tax liability. And hey, that can even give you the longer runway or a a bigger room to run if you're going to be leaving your full-time job. And uh, something to kind of add into that too, you did mention the 401k withdrawals. The good thing is, uh, once you are a real estate professional, the losses that you generate from your rental properties can offset, it's like a wild card, it can offset a wide array amount of of income that you have. And if you're going to be liquid and if you have a lot of money tied up in those 401ks in those IRAs, you can start pulling that money out, invest that money, use that money from a property, go ahead and use that money, buy a property, run a cost segregation study on it, take the losses against your, against that money you just pulled out. That's super powerful. Yeah. Um, It offsets your, you know, your spouse's income too. So and that's what, that's what I always joke. I mean, you would know more, but I joke around with guys I know that are making a bunch of money. I'm like, you need to tell your wife to, to get a real estate license and you know, you can start offsetting some of that. You know, I'm sure there's a little more to it, but I know it helps to have one, you know, it helps to have a real estate professional in the household. Yeah. No, it, it, it absolutely does. And um, it's something we come across all the time. We're constantly, you know, whatever, we're constantly working with, with couples who one of them is not working, working part-time or is ready to leave their job, go part-time or even leave completely. And then one, the, the, other, the other spouse in the relationship will continue to maintain usually a very high W-2 income or job or another business. And then the one spouse qualifies as a real estate professional and is allowed to use those losses from their rental portfolio against the, the spouse with the high W-2 incomes. It's definitely a strategy we see, and I think that anybody should anybody who's in a situation like that should explore it. Um, moving on from the tax, this tax stuff. What is the what is the, your favorite piece of technology or software that you're currently using in your business? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I've heard that question come up before. Like, I, I don't really use um, anything too crazy. Most of my income and expenses are still done on spreadsheets. Uh, but if I had, and I really don't have that many apps, but the one that I would use, and this is kind of specific to tax, is, um, is there's, a, there's an app for um, Evernote, which is basically a receipt scanner. Um, I think you've mentioned Expensify before. I'm assuming they're kind of the same thing. But, um, but that comes in handy because anytime, obviously, you just don't have to worry about holding on to every receipt. As soon as you get it, you can just take a picture of it on your phone and then file it into the folder you know, in your account online. So. You know, if I ever need to pull the receipts up, I can just log in and they're already scanned in for me. So I would say that's probably, if I had to think of an app that really helps me out, that's one. Yeah. What was that application called again? It was Evernote is the, is the website, like a company. Their app is, it's kind of funny because their app is, it shows up on my phone as Scannable um, is the name of the app. But it's like, it's related, it ties back to my Evernote account. So I understand that you have a new podcast that's going to be releasing yeah. Would you want to give us a little bit of a little bit of information on that podcast? Yeah, for sure. So it's the Professional Investor Podcast, and we're pretty much gonna be, you know, trans or covering people just like myself that transitioned from you know their prior careers and are now full time real estate professionals. So you just kind of talk to them, figure out you know how they kind of went from from yeah prior career to where they're at now. So I definitely yeah, if all the listeners you know want to check it out, um, you can look it up. It's a Professional Investor Podcast it should be on you know, iTunes, Spotify. And- and we'll go ahead and we'll drop the link to that to that podcast in the show notes so you go and check that out uh, before we wrap up today if our listeners did want to 
get in contact uh, with you uh, or learn more about current business, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah, they can just email me directly. Uh, it's david at sevenbridgesrei.com, and that's spelled out. So just the number seven spelled out, bridgesrei.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on today. Uh, I, I suggest everybody who's interested, who's listening right now, if you're interested in, in uh, learning about how people went from their prior career to uh, full-time real estate investing, check out the podcast. The link will be in the show notes below. Dave, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. It was a blast. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.